0: So This morning we conclude our sermon series, Ask Because Your Questions Matter, with our number one voted question. And that number one voted question was, how should a Christian view LGBTQ issues? How should a Christian view LGBTQ issues? Now this is a great question and a conversation that is much needed, especially in the church. I know for me, this conversation can feel difficult because there's a lot of dynamics at play. How do we understand and honor God's truth? How do we understand and honor our experiences, other people's experiences, the LGBTQ experience, and not feel the tension that the topic can create? And as I've mentioned before, I don't have all the answers to these questions. And so I encourage all of us that as we learn today, that we continue to learn. And I trust that our, the process of continuing to learn will help us grow and understand who we are and what we're supposed to do as believers. It is always my desire to communicate God's truth in the most loving way uh, that will lead us to see His desire for all of us. And this morning, one way that I plan to do that is to speak as respectfully as I can about the LGBT community, but not using terms like homosexuality. Homosexuality is a common term describing same-sex relationships, but among the LGBT community, it can have negative connotations. And unfortunately, Christians and society have used um, homosexuality as an attack to the LGBT community. So I wanna be mindful and respectful when it comes to talking about these issues. And so it's not just about um, talk, you know, being respectful, but talking about it using language that is respectful as well too. And so in our lifetime, in many of our lifetime, the LGBT community has become more and more accepted. In 2015, about just about a decade ago, a little less than a decade ago, the U.S. legalized same-sex marriages in all 50 states. And it's only been a little over two decades ago, back in 2001, when the Netherlands became the very first country to legalize same-sex marriages. And so if we think about it, in terms of legally recognizing same-sex marriages, we're just about a little over 20 years old, so it's still very young in terms of, 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 of how, this, how our world is, has become accepted more and more and more. In my own life, I've straddled both the church and the therapy professions, and so, um, so I went to school for marriage family therapy, practiced therapy for a little bit. Uh, Now I'm a pastor, and so I know people in both circles, past you know, church circles and and. uh, therapy circles who support LGBT communities while others disapprove of LGBT communities. And, and again, I've got you know, a handful of pastor friends, a handful of therapy friends, again, who all are on different spectrums of, of the issue. And I'm sure we all have family members, we all have friends, co-workers, acquaintances, people in our community who identify as part of the LGBTQ community, either as supporters or those who again sexually identify um, as LGBTQ. For some of us, this is nothing new, while for some of us, uh, for others, it might feel like a very hard thing to navigate. And so, this morning, wherever you are, wherever I am, whatever tension, whatever opinion that you have. Um, My hope is that we can dive into what God's Word has to say about this, uh, about this question and how should, uh, this question of how should Christians view LGBTQ issues. And so again, wherever we're at, let's see what God has to say about it. Now the traditional Christian perspective and understanding regarding same-sex relationships and LGBTQ issues is that it's a sin. Because it goes against God's desire, it goes against God's plan, it goes against God's um, design of what marriage is supposed to be, it goes against his creation of male and female. And so traditionally Christianity upholds the belief that God created male and female and the heterosexual marriage is God's design. And And anything outside of the heterosexual marriage, including all LGBTQ relationships, all of that goes against God's desire, and so if you're engaging um, in, in, in a sexual relationship outside of a heterosexual marriage, it goes against God's desire. The traditional position is the position that I hold, but as I prepped for the sermon, I went a different route. Normally, my sermons begin by finding scripture that affirms my position, but I opted to begin from a different perspective, and I opted to begin from an LGBTQ-affirming perspective. And so in 2012, Matthew Vines shared a presentation about how the Bible does not condemn a loving, committed, same-sex relationship. Matthew Vine's presentation was uploaded to YouTube and although some considered his perspective not largely new or profound, YouTube helped make his perspective more accessible to the general public. At the time, in, in, 2020, in 2012, Matthew Vines was a college student at Harvard, but he decided to pause his education career to research what the Bible had to say about same-sex relationships. And he just didn't take like a couple of days. He took, you know, two years and, and many, many hours to research what the Bible had to say. And in his study, he addressed the six major Bible passages that speak against same-sex relationships, which are... Genesis chapter 18 through 19, and here's a little blurb of it, but chapter 18, 19 of Genesis talks about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah because men wanted to engage in sex with the angels who presented as men. In Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, it says, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, it says, If a man has sexual relations with a man, as one does with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. They are to be put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. Romans chapter 1, verse 26 through 27 is a passage that we'll talk about a little later, and so I'll save that one um, once we get to it. The next passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 10, says this, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers excuse me nor men who have sex with men nor thieves nor the greedy nor drunkards nor slanderers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God and lastly 1st Timothy chapter 1 verse 9 through 11 says this we also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for, law, for, for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the holy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers for murderers, for the, sexuality, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. So Matthew Vines argues against the the traditional interpretation, and I won't go too much into detail, but it offered me a perspective of how someone who identifies as part of the LGBT community could understand how the Bible could support it. A general summary of Vines' argument is that the Bible says nothing for or against a loving, committed, same-sex relationship. And he concludes that it wasn't God's design for anyone to be alone or abstain from sex unless it was their calling. So he concluded that a heterosexual or a same-sex relationship that was loving and committed was biblical and that it was better than no relationship. Vines argued that the traditional interpretations speak against same-sex relationships, specifically about lust, about excess, about infidelity, about promiscuity, about rape and violence, but it doesn't speak about a loving relationship. Now, since the video in 2012, Vines has gone to start a nonprofit to support LGBTQ inclusion in the church, and he's also written a book. And I've appreciated Matthew Vine's perspective and posture and taking time to research his concerns. Again, he spent uh, a a good chunk of time studying all this. Uh, He's been very respectful of others' responses and critiques uh, with those who don't agree with him. And again, just the sheer brave, being brave of tackling this topic when people can get really ugly and really nasty about this topic. Here's a quote from his presentation that helped me be compassionate towards him. This is what he says. But those people, gay people, are just as much children of God and just as much a part of his creation as everyone else. And there's something terribly unseemly about straight Christians insisting that gay Christians are somehow inferior to them or broken or that gay people only exist because of the fall and that God really intended to make everyone straight like them. But you know, I am a part of—I of, of, am a part of creation too, including my sexual orientation. I'm a part of God's design. Now, I share His concern when He expresses His concern about the same sex, how the same sex community has felt like second-class citizens in the church. It is a serious reminder when he expresses to his audience that the LGBT community is as much a part of God's creation and anyone who is wrestling, wrestling through LGBTQ issues that they are not inferior, that they are not less than, but they are created in God's image, just like you and I, just like those who, are, who have a sexual, heterosexual orientation. Unfortunately, society and the Christians, the church has not made that case and has made them to feel less than. And while I feel empathetic and compassionate towards Matthew Vines, I also feel myself uh, feeling unsettled about uh, about his and just the general general church's perspective. When Matthew Vines says, and there's something terribly unseeming about straight Christians insisting that gay Christians are somehow inferior to them or broken or that gay people only exi- exist in the fall, and that God really intended to make everyone straight like them. There was this understanding that the church has made people in the LGBT community feel like they are a product of the fall when the reality is we are all products of the fall, that you and I, we come from the sin sin of Adam and Eve. And so not just those who have same-sex attractions or identify in the LGBT community um, are are, are products of that, but even heterosexual, people who have a sexual orientation of being heterosexual are products of the fall. And I feel like the fight that we've been having, is maybe of recent, has been over the adjective the that comes before Christian. Vines focus on what it means to be a gray, gay Christian, whereas many Christians hold on to a traditional view and focus on what it means to be a straight Christian. But the truth is our sexual orientation doesn't necessarily make us right or wrong with God, nor does it make us faithful or a faithless Christian. Again, it isn't the sexual orientation that makes us faithful Christians, but it's the relationship that we have with Jesus that makes us right with God. And so I think the war that we've been fighting over, gay or straight, again, is not arguing for what it means to be Christian, but we're fighting for that adjective. Now, again, in my research, you know I dove into a lot of different resources, and so one resource I found very helpful was this interview um, of Tim Keller. Uh, Tim Keller was a pastor in New York; he recently passed away. And his response, uh, he responds to a similar question in an interview with a professor named David Eisenbach regarding this issue. It's about a five, it's about a six minute video. And so I want us to, to watch this video and, and see how Tim Keller addresses his video. And so let's check out this video here. I just appreciate his response. Um, camera work, though, was terrible. Whoever was their camera person, Terrible um not some have critiqued Tim Kach's response as skirting over the issue that he didn't address it head on but i think there's something worth considering maybe sexuality isn't the issue maybe there's a bigger issue underneath being straight or lgbtq that we have to understand in order to truly understand what's going on Author Christopher Yuan from Christianity Today wrote a response to Matthew Vines, who I talked a bit about a little earlier, wrote a response to Vines' book saying, um, saying this, that captures some of my sentiments and, and some of Tim Keller's sentiments too. This is what Christopher Yuan says. Uh, our society may place a great emphasis upon a sexual identity, but Scripture does not. As a matter of fact, our d- identity should not be placed in anything, such as our sexuality, gender, or race, other than Jesus Christ. The church and society have gotten lost in this battle and have placed sexual identity above our identity in Christ. For me, it feels like the church's solution to any LGBTQ issue uh, is to change sexual orientations from being LGBTQ to heterosexual or to be celibate, to choose a life of not engaging in any sexual relationships. But I don't think that's the case. People with a heterosexual orientation, like Tim Keller mentioned, are just as sinful. Just because you have a heterosexual orientation doesn't mean that you're off the hook. Heterosexuals can still be sexually immoral. And so I, th- I think a better approach that we need to consider is to understand where sexual sin comes from. And to help understand this, I'm going to read from Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 27. And this is one of the verses that Matthew Vines um, um, has a counterpoint to. And it's, it's, a, it's a verse that is often used to support uh, that same-sex LGBTQ issues are not, uh, not biblical. And so Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 27, this is what it says. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse." They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who was forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to a to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relationships for sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, this is chapter one of, of Romans, and in, in Paul's opening of Romans, he shares with his audience that he's writing to that he desires to visit the church in Rome so that he could preach the gospel to them, hopeful that they would be encouraged and strengthened. And after such a warm greeting, he immediately goes to tell them that God is responding to the wickedness. What a way to, start, to kick off a letter. Imagine if you got there like, eh, I miss you so much, I wish I could be there to see you. hey, you're doing this, this 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 this, this wrong, and God's wrath is on you." Paul does this because his goal is to show them, that they're, show them his goal is to show them their wickedness so that he can persuade them throughout the letter to understand why they need Jesus in their lives. Paul informs the believers that they are all godless and wicked even though they know, and they have the information, they have the knowledge that God exists, but even if, with that knowledge and knowing that God exists, they have exchanged God for idols. And so instead of worshiping God, they worshiped idols. And as a result of their idolatry, of their idol worship, verses 26 to 28, uh, 28 says this, Because of this, because of idolatry, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Idolatry led to sexual immorality. Because of humanity's rebellious nature and willful rejection, God's wrath, or simply God's response, is that he takes his hands off. And I think an image, an illustration that helped me understand this is think of your child or think of a little one that you've cared for. And in your best effort to care for them, uh, they reject you by throwing a tantrum. You ever been in those situations where like their body goes limp or again, they throw themselves on the ground and they're just going crazy and and you want to grab onto them, you want to hold them, you want to hug them, but then they become like these, these little hulks and just like super strong and it, in, in that sense, I think that what it, what it means is if like you want to, you know, God wants to continue to hold us because, because of our willful rejection, because of our tantrum, because our, re, our rejection of God, God's like, I'm just going to let you go and, you know, you do what you got to do. I'm still here. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to let you go. You do what you do because if, 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 you know, and this is just me thinking, you know, thinking of this illustration, if I try to do something, it might cause more harm. And so imagine, I imagine that that's what's happening here. God takes his hands off of us because we're throwing a tantrum, we want our own way. And contextually, idolatry, um, the issue with idolatry was a reflection of the early church's understanding of what it meant to obey and disobey God. And so idolatry and idol worship in biblical times often involved sexual morality. So the result of humanity exchanging God for idols is that they engage in all sorts of sexual immorality, which included same sexual uh, relationships. It was very common for other temples and other places of worship to have sort, some sort of sexual immorality, sexual immorality as part of their worship. And so in a sense, that was the, the culture that, that the early church experienced. And so according to Romans chapter 1, the root of sexual sin is idolatry. Tim Keller, who we heard from earlier, describes idolatry like this. What is an idol? It is anything more more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give an idol is anything so central and essential to your life that you should that should you lose it your life would feel hardly worth living and that's from his book called counterfeit gods and this was helpful because it provides us a context to understand the connection between idolatry and sexual morality the un, the connection is unfaithfulness idolatry is being unfaithful to God. Sexual morality, whether it's heterosexual relationships, outside of the marriage, same-sex relationships, LGBTQ relationships is unfaithfulness to God's plan for sexuality. And Romans 1 paints this picture that all sexual sin is rooted in not being satisfied with God and not being satisfied with his plan for sex. So instead of seeking satisfaction in God, Humanity looks to be satisfied with what he has created, and that's idolatry. Often we perceive idolatry to be worshiping statues, but it's not simply the worship of anything else. Um, but, But it's simply the worship of anything else that isn't God, whether it's literal representation or a figurative representation. Whether it's an actual, um, it's, whether it's an action of, of worship or if it's, if it's just an act of worship in our hearts and our minds. And so again, we don't have to be bowing down, physically bowing down to things, but if we are doing so in our hearts and our minds, that is idolatry. What's evident is that idolatry and sexual morality frequently appear together as vices. And sexual morality in the Bible generally encompasses again all sexual sins including same-sex attractions. And so here are some passages in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 this is what it says or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters. Again, notice how they're 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 together. Neither the sexual immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, um, and so forth. Galatians chapter five, verse nineteen to twenty-one says what this is what it says. Again, listen to how sexual morality and and uh, idolatry are coupled. The acts of the flesh are obvious: sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And so again, the acts of the flesh, this, this, the 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 sinful things that we do. Again, sexual morality is listed along with idolatry. And then Colossians chapter three, verses five, uh, verses three, uh, uh, Colossians chapter three, verse five says it the clearest. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So, what do we do with sexual morality and idolatry? If that's the root of sexual, uh, if idolatry is the root of sexual immorality, what do we do with it? And to circle back to our original question how should Christians view LGBTQ issues? The solution that God gave to the, to the Israelites in Exodus regarding idolatry was the Ten Commandments. The second commandment was do not make any idols. The first commandment is you shouldn't have any gods before God. And so the solution that he gives us is don't. Don't, don't engage in it. Jesus summarizes it and reframes it by saying this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 to 40. This is often referred to as the greatest commandment. This is what it says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So I believe the solution to idolatry is to love God and to love others. Verse 40 says it, that everything hangs on to these two commandments. Love God and love others. The solution to LGBTQ issues is to love God and to love others. When we love God, we trust Him and we trust His desires for us. When we trust God and we trust His desires for us, this undoes all that happens in Romans 1 when God lets go of those who reject Him. Instead of turning away from God, we turn to God. And when we do this, this helps us love, loves, this helps us love others in a godly way. Instead of seeing others as a means to our happiness or purpose, we see others like how God sees them. And this love should lead us to care for them like how God cares for them. I feel like the church's tendency is to move away from those who have different values. But if Jesus calls us to love God and to love others, I think we're supposed to move towards them. Not only does Jesus tell us, tell us to move towards them, but he also demonstrates of this of what it should look like. And so in the Gospels, the religious leaders um, who disagreed with Jesus, they often describe Jesus as someone who eats with tax collectors and, and sinners, those who are the least holy. In this bunch of the least holy that Jesus associates himself with, that Jesus eats with, that Jesus is simply with, include the demon-possessed, ethnic groups who are despised because of their different religion, religions and religious beliefs, the sick, the sexually immoral, immoral, uh, the sexually immoral, just to name a few. And while the religious leaders move away from them, Jesus befriends them, Jesus cares for them, Jesus serves them all the while speaking truth into their lives in a gentle way, which is a great example of what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, 4, 4 verse 15, which tells us to speak in truth uh, to speak the truth in love. So often Christians move away from LGBTQ issues, but I think Jesus calls us to move towards them. We move towards them to help them find redemption and to help us find redemption. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 12, Jesus responds to the religious leaders by saying this It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick at river life among our leadership we don't believe in the concept of guilty by association we don't believe that you are that that you necessarily agree with those that you associate with so when it comes to being a, a christian going about lgbtq issues i think it's important that you know god's truth um, and desire god's truth and his desire for you so that you can associate with the lgbtq community and not have to agree with any with every one of their value but again, you can be with them. This reflects what Jesus did. Jesus loved his neighbors, so should we. Jesus called us to, compa- to be compassionate, so should we. And that compassion is over others um, who, again, are in the LGBT community, the same-sex community, the, the, community, the different political communities, whatever community that, that feels like goes against your values, Jesus calls us to be with those communities. And I see that there are three simple ways of how we can practically do that. I think we need to see the LGBT community. We need to hear their concerns, and we need to love them. When we see the LGBT community, we honor their humanity. We we remind ourselves that they are not second-class citizens. We treat them like anyone else, and we associate with them like how we would with anyone else. Second, we need to hear the LGBTQ community. We need to be informed of their issues. We need to be informed of their concerns, whether or not we agree or not, whether we agree or disagree. Listen and hear to what they're concerned about. And then lastly, love the LGBT community. Go beyond just associating. Get to know individuals who are part of the LGBT community. Engage in meaningful conversations that dialogue our thoughts and their thoughts and then speak truth in their life in a gentle and loving way that will encourage flourishing lgbtq issues are more than just sexuality issues it's an is- issue of aligning our hearts with god's heart and so let us see god's desire for all of us and let's find ways to involve ourselves with these LGBT communities uh, these LGBT issues and communities in a god-honoring way. Let's pray.